0: There are two extremes in behavior by which a woman emasculates her husband. We've talked about the hostility, but what about swinging in the extreme other direction? Let's talk briefly about pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. Uh, This episode is not geared necessarily towards mothers, but this will effectively set the stage for this final part of our three-part series entitled Allergies and Addictions. Now, the normal way of things is that we wives were made for pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. Infertility is a cross of bearing something which is not the normal way of things. Now, when we say that you and I as wives were made for these things, We literally mean that this is not something that you can um, get married and have a conversation with your husband and decide which of you two is going to do this. It doesn't matter if your husband is the more patient one, the one who is less anxious at doctor's appointments, the one who can handle pain better, the one who is less grumpy after losing sleep. It doesn't matter. You can come up with all sorts of reasons why your husband's temperament or capacity for whatever is better suited to the difficulties and trials and tribulations that come with pregnancy and childbirth, but the reality is that you can't hand it off. (laughs) Now, what this should tell us is that this is a specific way through which God intends for a woman to be sanctified. What happens when you reject the normal way of things, when you reject what we refer to as God's plan or God's will? Well, to put it mildly and simply, you have a harder time of it, right? There might be a temporal relief, but in the grand scheme of you getting to heaven, the easiest way to heaven is to do what God made you to do. And there are things for which God made you, for which your husband was not made, like pregnancy and childbirth. Now, let's say that you're not suffering from infertility, that everything should work normally. And let's say that your husband prevents you from experiencing these things, pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. Let's say that his supposed intention in doing so is to spare you. He doesn't want you to suffer nausea, weight gain, your organs moving out of the way to make room for a baby, stretch marks, crazy mood swings due to raging hormones, the actual pain of childbirth, etc., etc., etc. Let's say that your husband prevented all of that out of what he firmly believed was love with what he firmly believed was the best of intentions. Do his intentions change the fact that your quickest way to heaven is by doing what you were made to do? No. Your husband's intentions don't change what God has ordained as the quickest way to heaven. God can bring good out of anything, but that doesn't mean that he changes his designs at man's whims. Can you get to heaven without experiencing any of those things? Yes. Will it be harder? Yes. And hardest when deliberately prevented, when what is natural and normal is rejected. So, would your husband actually be making things easier or better for you? Again, in the grand scheme of getting to heaven, no. He would be stunting your growth. He would be working against God, which is problematic for his own soul. And he wouldn't really be loving you. Now, I say all of this because it seems to me that even the best of women today struggle very much with understanding what emasculation is and what emasculation does to their husbands. We've heard many times that husbands are called to be pastors, providers, and protectors, but because the God-ordained tasks which fall under those areas are not always as obvious as something like pregnancy some women have a hard time understanding what is properly assigned to their husband now they used to be significantly more obvious think of what four walls of your house your grocery store the job market which is open to both sexes and the many ministries at your parish which are headed by women do to make your husband's tasks harder to delineate not because any of those things are objectively bad Your house is a wonderful thing. Your grocery store is a wonderful thing. The fact that you as a woman can get a job is fantastic. The fact that you have so many opportunities to serve at your parish is a blessing unto others. But it does mean that the modern woman has to be considerably more discerning about what is properly tasked to her husband because things like protecting his family when sleeping out in the open or in a tent and hunting are things that a man used to have to do with his bare hands. And the fact that those things are no longer the norm has made it more difficult for us in many ways to honor God's designs for our husbands. And as much as these things help, there is also a price that we have paid. This lack of clarity is part of that price. Last week, we addressed a comment from a woman who called the work of creating a safe space for her husband a burden. This week, we're swinging in the extreme other direction, in a sense. In last week's episode, we introduced Carrie Grass's The Anti-Mary Exposed, rescuing the culture from toxic femininity. And for the duration of this episode, you can assume that all quotes given from Carrie Grass are from that book. So here are the first three quotes which I want to bring to your attention. The first one, quote, as a woman brought humanity under the power of Satan, one theologian, echoing early Church Father Saint Irenaeus explained, God would liberate humanity with the cooperation of a woman. End quote. The second quote, we are experiencing a passion unlike any other, particularly as it is directed at women, the soil of society which is why the solution must start with women, end quote. And the third, quote, It is through the mediation of women, a theologian has noted, that men are increasingly given to society, end quote. There are two extremes with regards to the behavior of wives, which both result in emasculation. The nastier extreme, the hostility, is what we covered first, because in many ways, it's so much easier to understand. But the other extreme is the extreme that we first saw in the Garden of Eden, the extreme that was modeled first by Eve when she approached her husband, Adam, with the best of intentions. Here is a fourth quote from Carrie Gress quote, The power and position that women are given when they are put in charge, unless tempered by virtue, most often leads to maltreatment of men by rendering them useless. End quote. So notice here that Gress does state that a woman tempered by virtue is can resist this temptation to render a man useless. So it's not that she ought never be put in charge of anything. And therefore, this quote does not contradict anything that we've heard about women's responsibilities to be in charge of various aspects of home life. But that position and that power must, of course, be tempered by virtue. Our task, ladies, is such a nuanced task task. We've talked about how a wife can back a husband into what appears to him to be a no-win scenario with her lack of joy and lack of gratitude by making him feel like nothing he does now is good enough and therefore nothing that he ever does will ever be good enough if it falls short of perfection. But we also talked about how this is a place that we don't get to overnight so let's backtrack a bit to that place where a wife is eager to be pleased and to look at another potential part of that earlier phase, which can also lead to emasculation. This other extreme that a wife can fall into is something which I will refer to moving forward as overextension. So once again, the devil approaches a wife strategically and calculatingly. And it's incredible, <laughs> miserable for us to get caught by it. But sometimes you just have to laugh. Many of us in the beginning do exactly as Eve did and with the best of intentions seek to assist our husbands. In fact, let's go back to the examine that we introduced back in episode 14 and zone in on those behaviors which a wife typically engages in uh, um, initially with absolutely no intention of being disrespectful. Now down the road when she's focused on her husband's shortcomings, these behaviors typically have an underhand insult implied, a pointed criticism of a husband's failures. But at the beginning of a marriage, these behaviors, if seen, are almost always coming from a place that the wife authentically believes is a place of love. So, from the examine, number seven Did I give unsolicited recommendations for resources to help him improve in some area? Number eight, did I make unsolicited, helpful suggestions? Number nine, did I undo something my husband had done in order to redo it my way? Number 13, did I directly criticize my husband or how he did something? And a note here that we included this one because in this earlier phase of marriage, A woman is not criticizing because she is angrily focused on how her husband is falling short, but rather is motivated by a desire to help and a relatively innocent belief that spouses should be able to receive constructive criticism from each other, which we did talk about when we covered this examine. Number 14, did I ask his family members or friends to speak to him or advise him about a problem in our marriage? So here a woman may be thoughtless and oblivious to the idea that her husband might be embarrassed by others, knowing that there's something less than ideal going on in their marriage. And she's talking to people who she feels her husband respects and looks up to and is operating off of the idea in her head that her husband would want to be advised by these people, assuming that he wants to be guided by them and would appreciate their input. Number 16, do I compare my husband to other men? Do I point out ideal behaviors in other men to try to get him to be more like them? So here, similar to number 14, maybe pointing out ideal behaviors in men that she knows her husband respects and looks up to, thinking that he would appreciate knowing how he could be more like them. Number 17, have I consulted other men on matters that I think my husband handles badly and shared their wisdom with my husband to try to get him to imitate them? Same thing here, going to men who she knows her husband looks up to and assuming that her husband would appreciate their coaching. So she's not doing this maliciously at all. And number 20, did I tell my husband how I do something, clearly implying that what he is doing is wrong? Let's amend this one slightly for the purpose of this episode. How many wives have told their husband how they do something, still implying that he's doing something wrong, but their conscious intention is to help him be more efficient, to work smarter, not harder, to help him to know how his method could be improved to his own benefit, right? Right. So the implication that what he's doing is wrong is still there. (laughs) You can't really help that. Um, You can't really help that it's there if you're criticizing an existing behavior. But again, a wife assuming in the early part of their marriage that spouses should be able to receive constructive criticism from each other may be at play here. Two weeks ago, we talked about how allergic the devil makes us wives to the work of responding to God's grace. Well, ladies, for our men, he makes our men allergic to our misery. He makes our men allergic to our misery. When in the beginning of a marriage, a wife goes out of her way to assist her husband, she's usually very happy about it. (laughs) She's happy to serve. She's happy to be useful. She's happy to be needed. And usually at the beginning of a marriage, it's out of a desire to be needed, to be useful, to help, that a wife will employ the behaviors that we just recapped from the examen. The problem is that usually also at the beginning of marriage, because of lack of formation that is characteristic of our generation, too many women are undiscerning of what tasks are properly their husband's. So they help or try to help with things that their husband needs to be the one handling. Ladies, it's a, it's a lovely thing to feel needed, okay? It's a lovely thing to be appreciated, right? <laughs> But here's what can happen. I spoke at the beginning of this episode about pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. If your husband were to prevent you from experiencing these things in a normal situation where you are capable of experiencing all of that, if on your behalf, he rejected God's plans, God's designs for you, he would be hurting you on your path to heaven. That's what we established. And this is exactly what happens when a wife steps in and prevents her husband from handling what God has created him to handle. She's getting in his way. She's making his path to heaven harder. She is stunting his growth. And so just like Eve, where she appears with the best of intentions to be wanting to be of assistance to her husband, What she is actually doing is tempting him to abdicate from headship. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It can look really nice. Eve looked irresistible while offering her assistance. Believe it. (laughs) It doesn't change what's actually happening, which is that Eve made it objectively more difficult for her husband to get to heaven. She made herself an obstacle to his sanctification. Because what happens next? Next, the devil plays on the husband's existing addiction to his wife's happiness. That addiction was formed presumably during your courtship and or dating relationship. He loved happy you. So because he loves happy you, he's not going to say no to your help. Adam didn't say no to Eve's help. It was much easier to say yes because saying yes would have made her happy because she would have felt like she was being useful. So your husband allows you to do what he believes makes you happy and which you at that time believe makes you happy. But then what happens next? One or both of the following occurs. Your capacity for doing changes significantly. You might volunteer more hours or have more kids or have bigger health problems, whatever it might be. Your legitimate capacity for doing so much changes and or you begin for whatever reason to feel unequally yoked to your husband. You begin to feel that the distribution of tasks is unfair. You feel that he needs to be doing more and taking on more. When one or both of these things happen, you might try to communicate that you would like your husband to then start helping you with what should have been on his plate in the first place. But remember what we heard two weeks ago that men love to be needed but are turned off by neediness. If the communication comes off as needy or is just straight up disrespectful, then he's not going to respond well. He's probably not going to do what you want him to do, or he might try it and then give up because, well, the doors have been thrown wide open for resentment. And he begins to pick up on that. You're falling into that place where you're not easy to please. And so as we talked about, he withdraws. He puts space between you. He retreats. And there is zero acknowledgement on the part of the wife that she created a problem by giving mixed signals. She was happy to do certain things before. And now she's not happy that her husband expects her to continue doing those things. It isn't that we shouldn't be helpful and attentive. It's that there are things that are legitimately on our husband's plate that God put there. And we are the ones who hold him back by being overly helpful. Gress says, quote, take away men's responsibility to lead, protect, and care for the general welfare of his people or family. And he ends up unfocused, without a mission, adrift in life. When we need our husband to step up in ways that he should legitimately be able to do so, if we have emasculated him by being too helpful up until that point, then we begin to be angry, bitter, and resentful that he's either incapable of taking care of things himself in various situations or has become altogether indifferent to those tasks being fulfilled, failing to recognize that we've created that problem. When we are unfaithful to God's will and to his plans for our husband, we are unfaithful to his will for ourselves. One last quote from Gress's book to close us out for this week. Quote, Confucius is known to have said, where the woman is faithful, no evil can befall. The woman is the root, and the man is the tree. The tree grows only as high as the root is strong. End quote. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast.